like I don't like very many of my records though because there's always something I should have did, some note I should have been, some word I should have said, <laughs> I should have slowed down, I went faster. But uh, I, I, uh, I like other people's records. That's our Billy Holiday. Our Billy Holiday. Billy Holiday's name is spoken a lot. And it can seem like, who is she? It can seem like she belongs to the world or this thing called jazz or whatever. But this is your Black Girl Songbook and Billie Holiday is ours. We just heard her being interviewed by a male host. He asked her quite politely, actually, about her own music and what were her favorite songs of her own. Do you hear how hard she is on herself? Does it break your heart how hard she is on herself? Talking about her work that has stood the test of time. She talks about her work like it isn't even or wasn't even that good. This is the woman, Billie Holiday, who perfectly sang, Come Rain or Come Shine. It's like her vocal pacing, the way she arranged her vocals on that record and so many records. Her pacing is perfect. And her aching is right there, right there for all to feel. The song Come Rain or Come Shine, which is a great record, the song is a jazz standard, and I'm putting that in quote marks because I feel like this thing with jazz is that there are all these terms. Do you know what I mean? That I don't know. There's just... Too much mystery. A jazz standard just means it's a song that singers love to perform live and to record. I'm specifically defining the idea of a jazz standard just because I remember when I didn't know what a jazz standard meant. And this was up and through my mid-20s and I was a working music writer. And I had played the flute since I was like seven. I could and can still read music. But listen, I was writing about the music of one of one of my wild girl eras, which at the time was late 80s hip hop and R&B. And I just didn't know terms like jazz standard and bebop and side man like what is all that well bebop is a style of jazz and a side man is a person who's playing in a jazz band who isn't the leader but these kind of things can make jazz intimidating and I don't like that like it's a different world it's our world it's our music as much as rap and R&B and reggae and so much else. We're going to talk a little bit today about Billie Holiday. About Billie Holiday and so many Black women vocalists that are perhaps much more familiar to us. 
who looked to Billie Holiday and not only just look to her, but take a page out of Billie Holiday's Black Girl Songbook. I'm Danielle Smith, host of Black Girl Songbook. This is the place where Black women in music receive the credit we are due. So let's just talk a bit about season one. In season one, we talked about everyone from Sade. There's even a Lover's Live album from 2002. It's worth your time immediately. It's worth it alone for the live version of Somebody Already Broke My Heart. To Lauryn Hill's epic 1998 Lost Ones. And what makes it worse is if you go to all these lists on the internet that look at, like, who has the best diss records, Lauren's Lost Ones is rarely mentioned, and it's rude. And then in season two, we were on brilliant women like the late Aaliyah. Aaliyah went to Catholic school. She played Annie. The sun will come out tomorrow. She was singing that in the first grade. Also in season two, Brandy came on the show and spoke very specifically about her actual voice. But if you notice, like when I was 15, I don't know if this is the right key, but I'm like, seem like ever since the first day we met, there is no one else. That's low. And it's probably even lower than that. That's at 15. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So if I'm teen singing that low, then y'all, I'm an alto. Here on Black Girl Songbook, we talk voice, okay? We talk details and work habits and work ethic and love affairs. We talk instrumentation and stage makeup and what it means to be a fan We try our best not to summarize. It's hard because there's so much to talk about with regard to Black women in music. Here on Black Girls Songbook, we love to state facts and figures and outfits and passion points. I'm an author and music and culture journalist, and I tell my stories as well. In another era, I was editor-in-chief of Vibe and then editor of Billboard. I have a book coming out April 19th called Shine Bright, a very personal history of black women in pop. My book starts way back and goes up to now. And so jazz is included. Jazz is not to be feared. Like, I feel like I need a T-shirt that says uh, black girl Songbook" on the front and jazz is not to be feared on the back. Jazz isn't even to be considered as so many of us do for the old heads. Like it is, but jazz is for everyone and you can hear it even now in everything. And we're going to get a little bit into that. And we're going to get a little bit into that because jazz, like the music of Billie Holiday, as I've said, it's ours. And it is built on the backs of Black women, especially the vocalists. Just for an example, we're not even going to talk about Ella Fitzgerald today because Ella Fitzgerald is like 
it's not an episode or a part of an episode. Like it's a whole season or like a lifetime commitment to get to know and listen to Ella Fitzgerald. So we're not even going to drop her vocals in this episode. And she invented the jazz vocal. Gladys Knight will tell you that. Lena Horne will tell you that. It's facts on facts. But my point is, even not mentioning Miss Fitzgerald, God bless her. May she rest in peace. Even without mentioning Ella Fitzgerald, it's we still have what feels like a million strong with regard to jazz vocalists, black women jazz vocalists. So let's talk about Billy from Philly. Billy Holiday was born Eleanor Fagan in Philadelphia. She's much more associated with Harlem because that's where Eleanor went to become Billy Holiday. But as soon as I say Billy from Philly, you may already see how that phrase, that energy has carried down to Jill Scott. Jill Scott. Jill, the R&B jazz pop singer extraordinaire, often known as Jilly from Philly. Jill Scott, who makes headlines right now. I mean, right now she's out here caking, right? Singing the, the little jingle for Nationwide Insurance. And she's so dope. It's not even that she's singing it and you don't see her in the commercial. No, she's in the commercial singing the jingle. It seems like it would be corny, but actually it's working for me because I'm up out here wondering, like, do I need nationwide? Because she sounds so good singing about it. But when we think about Jill recently, we also think about that versus. We think about when Jill Scott went head to head in a very sisterly episode of Versus versus Erica Badu, another very jazzy soul singer. My fave song from Jill is her 2004 Golden. I'm taking my freedom, pulling it off the shelf. But I mean, Golden is a lot of people's favorite song. It's a classic Jill Scott song. It was written by Jill herself and Anthony Bell, who's also worked with Jasmine Sullivan. We listen to Jill, right? Like the way she sounds. And I begin to think, what is it about Jill Scott's style that makes her quote unquote jazzy? Like, what do we mean when we say that? Is it just a feeling? Yes, without a doubt. But it's also, it's in the way she and other jazzy or jazz vocalists, it's the way they use their voices to build sounds that aren't even words. I mean, in the hip hop era, you would just call it beatboxing. But in the jazz era, you would just call it like what? Or maybe in the soul era, you would call it like ad libs and stuff like that. And in the jazz era, it was just like the all of that. Da, 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 da. Why am I trying to act like I'm a soprano? But I'm just saying it's like they're using their voices as instruments and not just like 
they're not just using their voices to sing actual words and lyrics. That's what a jazz artist does, among many other things, a jazz vocalist. And this, all of that, these moments, they're often very impromptu. They're, they're not written down, right, on a sheet of music. We go back to that, what is that feeling that makes a singer just do that? That comes from the blues, right? The blues are like songs mostly about being sad because of the state of black people in the 1910s, 20s, 30s, and really since they came to this country. But you guys know what I'm talking about, where you can just be singing and all of a sudden you're not singing the words anymore. You're just off on your own. You're just boom, 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 la, 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 la. You're doing, where is that coming from? It's coming from blackness, American blackness. It's inspired by emotion. Sometimes it's inspired by just what a singer knows she can do with her voice. Sometimes even now, if you hear Mariah go up that high, a lot of times that's not written down anywhere. That's Mariah just stunting on people like, I can do this. That's also Mariah just saying, I'm able, I'm trained, I have this ability, I'm going to share it because I feel this good or this sad. Jazz is everywhere. Do not let the way people talk about jazz now have you feeling like jazz is not ours because it is. I feel like, again, I need that t-shirt. I need that t-shirt because a lot of times when you're a jazz singer or a jazz e singer, it really is about the purity and the glory of the vocalist. Just listen right here to the glory of Jill Scott's voice on the a cappella version of Golden. I'm taking my freedom, pulling it off the shelf, putting it on my chain. Okay, and then listen to Jill singing Billie Holiday's Strange Fruit, like Jill did in 2015, decades and decades and decades and decades later after Billie. Listen to how Jill Scott sings Strange Fruit for this concert. It was the A&E and iHeartMedia's Shining a Light Benefit concert for peace or love or something like that. But listen to Jill. Southern trees Bearing strange fruit Strange fruit is a song, right? It's, it's literally a song about lynching. It's not a song that alludes to it or nods at it or acknowledges it in one line. Billie Holiday was singing this song about lynching when black people were being lynched all across the southern United States and even in other parts of the United States in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, really on up and through the civil rights movement. But there was a time where it just seemed like a black person was getting lynched once a week. We're going to talk more about Billie Holiday's 
insistence on always singing Strange Fruit when we get into how Billie Holiday lived and how she died. So we were just speaking about verses, right? Jill versus Erica. And the thing to recall about singer-songwriter Erica Badu's jazz leanings is that it's in the very name that she chose for herself. I love, honestly, I mean, my name is, you know, Danielle Smith or whatever. Um, How amazing is it when people, when Black women just name themselves? Erica Wright from Dallas, Texas decided, nah, nah. My name is Erica Badu from this day forward. And the reason it's Erica Badu is because of the jazzy sound that jazz vocalists make. I'm doing a very poor version. But that's what it's from. Erica's on the record as saying that. She looked to Billie Holiday and still does look to Billie Holiday for inspiration. Erica Badu was a part of the quote-unquote neo-soul movement, and I really need to do a whole show or something about how I don't believe that neo-soul is apart from any other kind of soul or r and B. I I don't believe it. It's a marketing term, but I'll stop. But Erica was a part of the neo-soul movement of the late 90s and early 2000s. And especially at the very beginning of her career, you remember uh, Baduism, right? You remember the, oh, the Erica Badu live album that Tyrone was on? I mean, listen. See, every time you come around, you got to bring Jim, James, Paul, Tyrone is a blues, okay? Tyrone is a, it's a jazz song. It's so specific about a situation and a, a guy down to his name. But the reason that Tyrone worked is because of the way Erica sang it and because so many of us as Black women, we, we know Tyrone. We've been out with Tyrone. And so the specific, you know, it becomes the universal. And you can hear, especially go back and listen to Erica Badu and then listen to Billie Holiday. Do you know what it is to get compared at the beginning of your career to Billie Holiday? Erica Badu was and still is. She cites people like Miles Davis as one of her influences, and he's purely an instrumentalist. That goes right back to what we were saying about Erica and many jazz vocalists striving to use their voices as instruments and not just like purveyors of words and lyrics. Erica Badu also counts Shaka Khan as an influence. Day, 
Shaka did a whole jazz album in 92. It's called Echoes of an Era, and not enough people listen to it. Shaka took herself back to her roots. I'm, I'm really just shaking my head when I think about how good the Shaka Khan jazz album is. And I remember being at a concert. Was I in Oakland? In Jack London Square, and Shaka was playing, and she started singing a jazz standard called My Funny Valentine. And people in the audience were like, Sing, ain't nobody. Why ain't you sing? Sing, I'm every woman. It was rude. And as a matter of fact, I think it was a tour where she was, the album had been re-released in 2005. And the point of the tour was she was singing the album. But I guess people just didn't want to believe that that's what she was doing. Like, I'm in the audience. I could see from the audience that her feelings were hurt, that people weren't allowing her to stretch and be her to do what was on her heart. They thought what is said on the the flyer or the poster that she's singing all the jazz songs, but you just bought the ticket because you thought she was going to break out in Hollywood. Stop doing it. Because Shaka's album featured people like instrumentalists like Stanley Clark and Chick Corea making music. And it was full of those jazz standards we've been talking about. These songs from what people call the American Songbook. That's actually how I came to name this show Black Girl Songbook. Because we are a huge part of the American Songbook. And when I say a huge part, I mean like if we're thinking a pie... Maybe I shouldn't do numbers, but it's a big old piece of the pie, like larger than 50%. We're a huge part of the American Songbook, but we also have our own. We have Black Girl Songbook. Listen to Billie Holiday's singing a jazz standard called Them Their Eyes, just a snatch. I fell in love with you the first time I looked into you. Them their eyes. And you have a certain little cute way of flirting with them there. Okay, okay, okay. Donnie, cue me up just a little bit of the great Shaka Khan's version of Them Their Eyes. After that, we're going to get deep into Billie Holiday's life and time. We really do have to do a whole episode, a whole season about Shaka, like period. There's so much meaning in her records. Like, listen to Hollywood, Donnie. How about this little bit of ain't nobody? I make my wish upon a and hope this night will last forever. It's not easy 
to actually put emotion into any kind of work. The ability to put emotion into your work is, is a skill. It's not, oh my God, that just comes to her naturally. That's a decision that's being made. To put passion into your work, yes, that's one thing. But what about very specific emotions into your work? Like, okay, so you're a singer. Here's the song. Um, can you just put joy in it? No, no, no. Sing it again, but this time put regret in it. What about yearning? Can you put yearning in it? Sadness? Pure lust? Can you give us that? Donna Summer? Oops, did I say that? Listen here to Billie Holiday. This is her voice talking about meaning in music. There's nothing happening. I mean, with the tunes today, you just can't get into them. You can't feel them. Unless you do novelty things, they write cute novelty things. I don't sing novelty. The things that I sing have to have something to do with me and my life and my friends' lives. And it has to have a meaning. That's Miss Holiday in an undated interview. I feel like I can hear all through her voice about what it means for the actual blues to become musical blues, what it means for feeling and commitment to excellence become jazz, and what it would mean in the ensuing decades for soul to become soul, disco to become disco, and rap to become rap. It really is all of a piece, how songs have meaning, how black songs have meaning. Okay, so, okay, one last digression before I talk about Billie Holiday. I want to talk about Etta James. So first of all, Etta James can sing anything. It doesn't matter. But what we all know her for is perhaps one of the most popular wedding songs of all time. It's called At Last. At last My love has come along The reason people pick At Last for a wedding song is because it has that feeling in it, that meaning. Okay, she's sing- all in one song. She's got um, kind of relief, right? Um, she's got some joy, um, a little bit of surprise, um, a little bit of disbelief, uh, and a little bit of celebration at the fact of at last, at last. Her person was there. And so people just choose this song. Doesn't matter what race they are. It doesn't matter what generation they are. Somebody's getting married right now. Tens of thousands of people are getting married 
right now in their first dance is at last. Or you see the bride walking down the aisle to at last. That's Etta James. Jazz, soul, rock. She sings everything. But Etta James never had a real home. It bothers me. Like, I feel like we can say that about a person, but like, that is an actual and real thing. Like, Etta James never had a real home. So that's a whole mental situation right there. Her childhood has been called Dickensian. Now, I'm not a big Dickens fan, but I get that it just seems like a whole bunch of crazy characters doing wild stuff. There's all kind of tragedy and poverty and a whole lot of foolishness. She didn't know who her father was. She thought her father might be Minnesota Fats. Listen, y'all are lucky I even know who Minnesota Fats is, and that's probably only because I used to work at ESPN. But Minnesota Fats was a celebrated pool hustler. Pool, like shooting pool. He was a pool hustler, but he was inducted into the Billiard Congress of America Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame without ever winning a tournament. That sounds like a hustler to me. Minnesota Fats's widow denied that he could be Etta James's father. So again, you have a whole mental situation, right? Where not only did you never have a real home, but you don't know who your father is. And then the person that you think is your father, you're being denied. That's being denied because he was white. Etta became a heroin addict and then a cocaine addict. By her own word, she would cook up a mess of gumbo for friends and stay high for days. To my ear, you can hear Etta's voice and see her swag in Tina Turner. In Gladys Knight, did you see Cadillac Records in 2008? Beyonce portrayed Etta James, and I don't know if Etta was feeling it, but that's, again, a whole different episode. But the real Etta James, the one born Jamesetta Hawkins, James Etta's men were usually criminals. Again, this is all by her word. James Etta did time herself on drug charges for floating checks. And Etta James had some very frank thoughts about the kinds of things that create real blues that then become musical blues that create this meaning in jazz, particularly the vocals of black women. So I'm about to just read a quote from Etta James. She says, that was the story of how it went with most of us and our men. They came on to promote us when we wanted help in the worst way. They dressed us and trotted us out to the stage at the time. And this is the part no one gets We didn't mind it. We fucking liked it. We were hoping these cats would choose us and sell us and show us how to get over. That was the good side. 
The bad side was when the devil popped out of them and they thought they could control us forever. That's when the violence started. Just like Billie Holiday and Sarah Vaughn, I experienced that. Just like me, Aretha Franklin experienced that. In the meantime, we became stars. Could we have had one without the other? A career without the pimps selling us? Who the fuck knows? First of all, that's an incredible quote, and I'm so happy that I found it because I like to hear the voices of Black women when they're not singing also. But you hear how she's just profane like that, like just like around the way, never had a real home, right? But she's singing at last. Considered one of the most romantic, idealistic, passionate, emotional love songs of all time. Do you see how Black women do this work of translating feeling onto record, onto wax? It's crazy. We talked about the idea of lynching being at the root of the blues and jazz. But we also have to talk about, as Etta James did here, the relationships between women stars and their boyfriends, the husbands, because as Etta James said so eloquently, it gets ugly and complicated because, and this is me talking We're always familiar with this concept of like groupies. I feel like so much of 90s rap is men like rhyming about like these quote unquote groupies or video vixens. I feel like a lot of rock and rollers, white rock and rollers, they like to sing and about these groupies, these women who are apparently, you know, just always hanging out and always want to, quote unquote, be with the band. Again, y'all know I don't judge. On some night, shoot, you don't have to call people groupies. That makes it sound whack. What if you just a hyper music fan? What if you just like drummers or whatever? It's like, stop putting them in a category, but they are in like groupie and video vixen become synonymous with like ho, which is tired. And it also doesn't get applied to men in the same way because there are men who just hover around women creatives In the music business, they can sell themselves, as Etta James was talking about, as a person that can make you, music lady, into a hipper chick. These guys are awarded titles. Oh, no, not like groupie. They're awarded titles like mentor. Ooh, that sounds right. Everybody wants to be a mentor or a Svengali. Right? Svengali just meaning like I just waved my hand over you and suddenly you've gone from whack to jamming. 
No one's calling them groupies. I'm not acting like there aren't some decent guys out there being the husbands or boyfriends of very famous ladies. But there's a whole gallery of dudes who, for example, become producers solely to be around the business of women making music. Or they become bodyguards of women singers and women rappers. They become managers, but predatory managers of women's careers. They seek women creatives to publicize and for whom to write songs. Some of these guys are limousine drivers, personal trainers. There was a whole song, right, called Gold Diggers. I ain't saying she's a gold digger. Why I'm saying he's a gold digger. Sometimes these guys, I've seen them. Maybe their whole job is just like to deliver a little plate with thinly sliced cantaloupe on it because Miss Girl's trying to keep that waistline snatched. You might see them on the red carpet just out of the shot, right? Just out of the shot, holding like a cape or a pocketbook. This can cause tension. But the thing about these men, as opposed to the quote unquote groupies, is that these men have access to spaces off limits to black women. Like they get invited to like the meeting with like the other guys that are making things happen. And there are still more guys in the music business, unfortunately tragically, that are making things happen. And so what happens is in relationships, there's a possibility of resentment, physical abuse, gaslighting. And my personal favorite, she says sarcastically, is hate masquerading as love. It's rampant. The phenomenon of male hangers-on is just not that different from what people have been derogatorily calling groupies. There are just not as many songs about them. And in the movies, right, these men are always dressed to impress. They're very suave. As a girl, I fell in love. With Billy D. Williams, you know Billy D. You guys know him as Lando Calrissian, but he had a life before that. I fell in love with Billy D. Williams because of his portrayal of Billy Holiday's husband, Louis McKay. Billy D. Williams is suave for the entirety of 1972's Lady Sings the Blues. This is the biopic produced by Motown. Of Billie Holiday. So, again, it's just like, why would Diana Ross want to star in a biopic of Billie Holiday? She's very Motown and R&B pop and disco. Why? Well, you know what? Billie Holiday died when Diana Ross was 14. Can you imagine if your favorite singer died? When you were 14, or maybe he or she did, and how that even sadly further endears that person and, and like tattoos that person on your heart. 
Well, that was Diana to Billie Holiday. And when Billy D. Williams as Louis McKay comes to visit Diana Ross as Holiday in the padded cell, because Billie Holiday was an addict, and back then they used to be tossing addicts into padded cells in mental hospitals. But when he visits her in that movie, And she's looking all like vacant eyed and high. You have to remember. So I'm like nine or 10 or something when this made its network television debut. I only know at that point, Diana Ross from the Supremes looking all perfect and every eyelash in place and every sequin on point. And I'm looking at her right now in a padded cell. And here comes Billy Dee. Williams in a suit, like a suit suit, and he hands her in her lowest moment a diamond ring. Oh, no. Oh, no. I thought it was the most romantic thing ever. I had never seen in my life on screen or off a black man in a suit proposing to a black woman. But even I know that kind of thing is supposed to go down at like a restaurant. And back then, I don't know if people was really doing the whole like engagement extravaganza that I watch on social where y'all have it together. My husband proposed to me in front of the Christmas tree. I think he had on a scully, like seriously. I was a kid when I saw this. I've been touched by it ever since. But the real Louis McKay married Billie Holiday in 1957. He was an abuser. He lost a hell of money of hers on like gambling and bad real estate deals. He was referred to by those who knew him as Louis DK. Get it, Louis McKay? Louis Dickey. They called him that because of his quote unquote corrosive influence, but he was her fourth husband and her sole heir. And he was a technical advisor on the set of Lady Sings the Blues. It's the movie that we know her from. If you haven't seen it, please find it and stream it. But So many people get their definition of Billie Holiday's life from Lady Sings the Blues. And in that movie, McKay turned himself into a hero in a fedora. I mean, he was giving Black Cary Grant. He was giving Denzel before Denzel. And I'm talking about young Denzel. Billy D. Williams at the age of 35 gleamed from the screen like a proper superhero. He was aware of his beauty, but he used its powers as NFL player Gail Sayers in Brian's song. As a community organizer, Brian in Mahogany and as Lando. Billy D. Williams used his fine ass powers for good. As mentioned, McKay, on the other hand, was a violent groupie, a grifter and a gold digger. A bloodsucker dominating women on the chitlin-strewn path of a patriarchal world. But see, Louis McKay was able to move in the men's circles. 
where things, quote unquote, get done. It didn't stop with Louis McKay, though. Tina Turner told Larry King that she wished the film What's Love Got to Do With It? Again, another biopic. We all feel like we know Tina Turner from that movie. Do you know what I mean? Angela Bassett, all of that. Um, but Tina told Larry King that she wished the film What's Love Got to Do With It? could have been more real. I'm sitting over here like, more real? Packed with even more horrific details of her life with Ike. Ike Turner, her former husband. Disney, according to Tina Turner, told her that if they put those kind of details in the film, the story would just not be believable. I think then just about Billy because Tina got out with her sanity. She had a huge midlife comeback. She's chilling right now somewhere where the ultra rich folks are doing what they do. She's probably looking out over some type of body of water and I hope she is with the drink of her choice, eating whatever she wants to eat and having people call her Ms. Turner. But Billy didn't get out. She didn't have the opportunity to, to leave, to heal, and to live. Billy's fate on this earth was to be an addict. She had been a prostitute. Blues, y'all. Blues, blues, blues. Her destiny was to transform. We were talking about it earlier. The song called Strange Fruit. Just to transform it. Again, all these lynchings were going on in the 30s, 40s, and 50s when she was at her height. But, you know, there wasn't social media and stuff back then. And the mainstream newspapers, when they wrote about it, they weren't writing about it like with the detail of the heinousness of the situation. So, see, Billie Holiday was our social media. Because she would sing the song. She would be on tour and she would always sing the song. Law enforcement would ask her to not sing the song. They thought it would incite riots or fights. But basically, they just thought that people would know what was going on. She would have the quote unquote narcotic squads of different police departments in different cities across the country, they would always come to her shows trying to see, is she high? Because if she's high, we're going to arrest her. Just some lyrics from Strange Fruit. <sighs> Strange Fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Pastoral scene of the gallant South the bulging eyes and the twisted mouth, scent of magnolia sweet and fresh, then the sudden smell of burning flesh. So you see, she's not nodding at it. She's telling a story through song, again, as Jill Scott and many others would do for decades ever after. 
But everybody wants to forget the whole strange fruit situation. And we all just want to remember Billie Holiday in a padded cell being super happy because a man who made up a whole alternative life for himself for the film is like romantically handing her a diamond ring. I remember watching that on television and I was, my mother could see that I was caught up. And I remember her very specifically saying to me, that man is not nice like that. Billie Holiday's destiny on this earth was to die with 15 $50 bills strapped to her leg because she was afraid of fools stealing her money. She died under arrest in a Harlem hospital, worried that she would burn in hell for what she used to call her hard living. Me, your host of Black Girl Songbook, I don't really care if Holiday was uh, what they used to call a hophead, a heroin addict. I don't care if she and Louis McKay's relationship was as it's often been characterized as tumultuous. I don't care if Billy was doing what people say about wild girls being aggressive or defending themselves. I don't care if Billy gave as good as she got. If there's a hell, and I hope there is, Louis McKay is there in a Billy D. Williams three-piece smelling like shit because, and I love Diana Ross's performance of her life. That performance is Academy Award nominated, something people don't talk about enough with regard to Diana Ross. But Billie Holiday is saying not just a lady's blues, right, but a whole society's blues. She channeled the angry dejection of American blacks and the base egomania of American whites with a gardenia blooming in her hair. Even that carries down over the generations. That gardenia is like a wave to the future. A wave to the future flower crown wearers of the festival era. You remember how guys used to clown girls for that? Wearing the little flower crowns in real life or putting the little like uh, in the apps, putting the little flower crowns virtually on their on their heads like crowns, lifting themselves up to glory instead of waiting on somebody else to do that. Billie Holiday with the gardenia always never performed without it ever. Most times Holiday wore that gardenia alongside her head. Behind just her ear, like the seductive puff of a fresh idea. We hope you hang out with us for the rest of season three of Black Girl Songbook. It's your Black Girl Songbook. We have some, I don't even like, exciting, thrilling, amazing things planned for the rest of the season. It's also Black Girl Songbook's Shine Bright season. My book, Shine Bright, A Very Personal History of Black Women in Pop, it's available for pre-order now. It's a merge of memoir and 
biography, and it really is the joy of my life. Can we stay in touch, please? Yes, let's do that. I'm always on Twitter and Instagram sharing too much, uh, doing the most, talk a little bit about culture, a little bit about music when I can. And my name on both platforms is Danamo, D-A-N-A-M-O. Team Black Girl Songbook is a brilliant ringer crew. They keep the whole Black Girl Songbook situation together, episode by episode. We have producer Trudy Joseph, audio producer Donnie Beecham, story consultant Taj Rani, and DJ Steve Porter is on sound design. Our talent booker is Allison Turner. And on additional production supervision, we have Juliet Littman and Chelsea Stark-Jones. Amanda Long is our publicist. And Sean Fennessy is always nearby with advice and encouragement. Black Girl Songbook is here for you on Spotify via The Ringer. And now you can catch us any place you listen to your favorite podcasts. Let's go out to Billie Holiday's Our Love Is Here To Stay. It's from 1959, and it's my favorite, like Billie Holiday is my favorite. Our Love Is Here To Stay is written by George and Ira Gershwin. It was my grandmother's favorite. It's one of my mother's favorites. When I was the littlest girl, right, the song sounded almost like a nursery rhyme to me. A song talking about the Rocky Mountains crumbling and the rock of Gibraltar tumbling. I just loved all those rhymes and talk of places that I had yet to see. I know the lyrics so well because the song was always being played. Whether sung by Ella Fitzgerald or Dinah Washington. And if you're a When Harry Met Sally fan, you can hear Louis Armstrong. And then you can hear Harry Connick Jr. Their renditions play at the opening and at the close of the film. I feel like I'm saying all these names, right? And we talked at the top of the show about how jazz should not intimidate you. Do not fear jazz. It's my hope that, that you all begin to take it back. Don't let the fact that jazz has been written about so much by people who aren't black make you feel like it's not black because it is it's ours to reclaim just like they say what do they say that we're supposed to reclaim our time we need to reclaim our jazz just go to spotify or your favorite streamer and type some of the names that we've discussed today into the search bar. Be not intimidated. So many of your favorite Black women singers spring from the sounds of jazz. And we're going to continue talking about it all on your Black Girl Songbook. Listen to Billie Holiday. It's very clear. Here to stay 